horses like my whole life. I don't come from like a riding family, but my, I had a babysitter that had horses as a kid and we'd go to her house every day mm-hmm. and we'd go out and feed the horses. And I, I remember mm-hmm. even at like one point I maybe was like three, which I think of this now and I'd be terrified. And so now I know why they yelled at me, but like, I used to like go out into where the horses were and like <laughs> reach all the grass that they couldn't reach on the outside and go feed it to them. And I was like three years old. Wow. So <laughs> I always like really into hanging out with them and then um I grew up in Colorado and so um really horses were like the only way that my parents could get me to do anything like I was one of those like really smart and very opinionated children so like they'd be like you're grounded and I'd be like whatever and I'd go (laughs) hang out in my room like it was hard to you know but I always wanted to ride so that was one thing that um was sort of a through line Mm -hmm. wow That's wonderful. And do you have horses today now, I take it? Yeah. um, I just sold actually that other horse, my older one. I had an 18-year-old dressage horse, just sold him. And then I have a nine-year-old Swedish horn blood mare. Wow. That's wonderful. That's just wonderful. And from what you said, you have shown quite a bit and reached good levels, you know, your your bigger, higher levels with your dressage and so forth, which is really wonderful. Yeah, now I'm sort of in the process of really like wanting to learn how to train my own horses up mm-hmm. the levels. So mm-hmm. like my mare's schooling pre-St. George right now, I started her kind of myself as a, like she was a young wow. horse, like she didn't have a flying chain or anything when I got her. Wow. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely, I've, I've shown through the pre-St. George. That's wonderful. Highly disciplined. Very good. Wow. Good for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Lots and lots of, of schooling and work on the flat. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. How do you yeah. Find time to ride. Well, I invented my job, so <laughs> I, I um, I just do it whenever I want. Like I'm the type of person that like I will like if I have something I need to get done, I'll just get it done. Like it doesn't bother me to work at night or in the morning or whenever. And so you know, like I'm if I'm gonna check out for five hours and go do my horse, that's fine. But then like, I'll be sitting there till eight o'clock at night doing emails if I have to. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I make my own hours, you know, yeah. like most of my stuff is my clients, we schedule calls and stuff like that. So I make my own hours, my staff all make their own hours. Um, awesome. It's sort of, um, when I started my business, I mm-hmm. um, I read this book by Yvonne Chouinard called Let My People Go Fishing. Mm-hmm. And it's about, productivity in the workplace and management styles because I was like okay I'm sorry company I have to learn I have a psychology degree so I was like I really I I, there's a lot of different you know studies in terms of how you manage people and I was very big on like I'm a terrible employee you don't want me to work for you (laughs) because I figure out how to do my job very quickly and then I'm off to something else and so um I'm not a good plug and play like show up and do the same thing every day person so um, because I think I'm a difficult employee. I work really well with the like other people also that are not really good employees. So I had to figure out like, how do I get these people or they wouldn't be happy employees in a lot of work mm-hmm. environments. So I was like, how can I be productive? And so that was, that book was like really helpful because I manage my team, you know, it's, and you know, he says it starts with the first person you hire and it's so mm-hmm. true. And like my whole team is very much like me Mm -hmm. and so we 
that's that's the big thing is that if you don't let people go and enjoy their lives for us it was riding for a lot for you know Yvonne Chouinard it's climbing and and fishing Mm -hmm. you don't let people do that then they really why do they work hard right right I, I like to think that like my staff are very happy in their jobs. I mean, like my, my head of operations has been with me since I started the company, you know, like, and they're able to move, they're able to ride horses, they're able to travel, you know, like nobody works because they want to work for a living. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we like what we do in our projects, but we want to be able mm-hmm. to, um, you know, live our lives. So I'm big on that. That's so nice. Now, when did you start your company? How long has it been in, in going? So we started formally in 2016. I'd say I probably started in 2015. It started as like a hobby business. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working from home at the time doing um, production consulting. I have a master's of fine arts from UCLA. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of um, like, working for them basically all I was doing was finance for production so I was just running budgets which is ironic because I was I never thought I was really good at math until I learned that like you're really good at math but it involves money and you want to pay for horses yeah so I like figured out how to do that so I, I I got to the point where like I could pretty much do my job for them in like four hours a day but they didn't know it mm-hmm. so I you know wasn't they, they couldn't see you they work from home mm-hmm. so I did that and then I started getting asked to like help a couple of different brands or riders with their stuff so I originally I just took on like one rider two riders and helped with social media for one brand because this was really when like you know Instagram started to take off in the horse world and Facebook ads were still really effective for um, businesses like crazy at cheap. So we started then and then it got to the point where by 2016, by 2017, I had like full on replaced my income at my other job and was kind of coasting and it just kept growing and growing and growing. So Um, yeah. So did you do this yourself or was there someone else involved with you when you got started or how did that, you know, come about? I initially started by myself. I, I took on a couple of clients and then I had Claire who now is like one of our senior consultants and heads up operations. She reached out to me because she was a student at William Woods in their business MFA, MBA program. And mm-hmm. so she needed an internship. I've had a lot of William Woods students actually intern for us over the years because they have to for school credit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we provide something a little bit different, but also like real world for them. So she messaged me because I had a Colorado phone number and she thought maybe I was in Colorado. I wasn't, but then she ended up interning for me. And then after that, she's been with me ever since. So she started working part-time as the business grew, then she became full-time and then now she's grown to really heading up a lot of our operations and nice. stuff. Cool. You well, have a really impressive team. Did yeah, you slowly group. build up your team or was it mm-hmm. pretty fast? That was my next question. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I like the team building question. Uh, so it's like twofold. So um, I, the girls, so the consulting side of what we do and the project management, you really have to have an intimate knowledge of horses. So nobody comes and works for me that has not, unless you're a specialty, Um, But if you want to be a consultant, um, which is like kind of a cross between a sports agent, a marketer and a um, project manager. So if you want to do that job, you have to have a background in horses um, and they always have to intern because I there is no way to sit down and every client's needs are different. Mm -hmm. Every business's needs are different. You have to in this company, you have to know how to teach yourself things. 
And you have to be able to, you know, come up with constructive solutions and learn our sort of internal process and communication style. So everyone starts with interns and then they move in. So those I'd say that those positions are the hardest to hire because generally there's a lot of people who are really passionate and they want it. They think they want to do this. But they don't know the first thing about it. So they don't want to, you know, and they, but they can't afford to be an intern or part-time until they learn, but they also don't learn fast enough for this job for me to hire them full-time. Hmm. So, um, I've gotten a little bit better at it. Like We've that. become a little bit more creative in, um, segmenting some of our process. And that really actually came more from co contracts with the clients and, and I mean, I, the first contracts for the company I did myself two years ago was the first time I actually had a lawyer, like fix all of them. And I feel like every single year, our contracts get better. So, nice. because you get kind of screwed over. <laughs> so you learn, it's all falling flat on your face with contracts. It wouldn't be in the contract if something didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. If something didn't happen or the expectations, it's all about clarity, right? Cause even yeah. if you have the contracts and they're, it's there, but sometimes the clients I believe all conflict in business and in life comes from um, expectations not being met. And generally that's because the expectations are not clear. So the clearer that you can manage either the client's expectations going in so they know what they're getting for what they're paying, then they have something measurable when they're going, do I wanna keep doing this? Is this working? Is it not? So it's all about transparency. And so, so that's, the big thing I'd say with like hiring that core team is that's the process that they really manage. And so I've gotten a bit better now at like, we have like one girl that is full-time that only does social media, but over the course of that period, she's learned to do some other things. And then mm -hmm. you kind of also have to assess, like a lot of people have different skills. So some people are good at doing kind of more of the same thing, but doing it a little bit differently. Other people get bored with that. And so to keep those employees you know, happy, you have to give them new projects and new clients. And I'm that way. Like I want to change Claire's that way. Like we want to change something else. Um, but then with like a lot of what we do and what I felt with the equestrian industry was missing was, you know, like a lot of people will hire their cousin to do their social media or my favorite, let me just call this photographer that I know and have them come out and shoot these photos for my brand. Bad idea. Like, and that's the thing I think because of my background, you know, it, UCLA and working in production consulting because I worked with big brands like Hershey's and PepsiCo is like what you get, what you pay for is what you get in mm -hmm. the artistic world. The same mm -hmm. way with a horse, you want to walk in and spend three grand, you know, you can get a thoroughbred that's maybe going to have some issues. You might get lucky. No right. one's saying you're not going to, but you know, but if you want to buy something nice, you know, maybe we need to import something or get something nice from a breeder. You get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. I do so, um, yeah, so what I've done actually, and this I think came from my film background, is we have an awesome team of creatives. Mm -hmm. And because I have so many clients now and the business has grown so much, they they work on a lot of different accounts. And so I was able to kind of do this, like, I don't know, I call it, like, it's, it's like a co-op management <laughs> approach in that like normal creatives wouldn't be available at the level that I have, you know, like Sean Mosher Smith, my creative director is an incredible creative director that does ad campaigns and stuff. He's, you know, he did, did stuff for Capitol Records. Like he did all the Christina Aguilera campaign. I mean, he's an incredible mm -hmm. genius. And, you know, my ads managers, like one of my girls does all of the ads for HBO Max, you know, but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people that want to make money on the side, want to work on certain projects that are different or fun in a less structured and less stressful mm -hmm. environment, which I think we do a good job at. And 
if you have enough people, you know, you can have, so I have some, some members of my team who are really good at one thing yeah. and we send the clients for that thing to okay. them. So I have two graphic designers that do specific things. And that's what the consultants do in the middle is they, they decide when do we use the big guns for each, you know, we have three mm -hmm. web developers, but even within my web developer team, I mean, they're all good at different things. You know, Cindy's really, really good at raw coding. Like even that, I think people don't understand. They hire a web developer or even better, they try to make it themselves. And they don't realize that there's actually like areas of expertise within web development mm -hmm. itself. So like I have one gal who is from a, as a web developer is actually a really talented designer and mm -hmm. she knows horses and stuff. So quite often she'll actually run the layouts and create the design for the mm -hmm. clients. But then, you know, sometimes it's kind of like being an architect. I'd say she's more like an architect or an interior designer, but then you still need the carpenter that can yeah. come in and actually right. like code it all. And yeah, right. she can do it, but you don't do it all yourself. You right. just can't. I mean, we're building anywhere from six to 10 websites a month. We're making, you know, big changes on different websites. Mm -hmm. I mean, we manage over a hundred social media profiles um, every day. So it's, it, and it just keeps growing. And so I think the process of building a team is finding out like how to utilize what people are good at in order to provide the services to your clients mm -hmm. in a way that they're happy, but then also meshing it all together. It's a very messy process, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like clients come and go as you learn that process too. And you mm -hmm. have to, you learn from the clients that, because I think every client, at least for me, we've always wanted to make them happy. We've always wanted to get good results. Sometimes if that doesn't happen or there's like a lack of, um, you know, like expectations or something. Cause you'll have the other side too, where we've had clients that think we should just do everything for them, mm -hmm. you know? And you're like, Oh my God, we right. can't <laughs> like, right. under contract. Yep. Right. We're going to whole marketing department, you right. know, for a right. website cost. So, right. you know, it's stuff like that, or like you'll do shoots and people don't realize like, well, there's this thing called post-production, mm -hmm. you know, you still have to edit it. You still mm -hmm. have to do all that. So, mm -hmm. um, I think it's just about like, figuring out what your service is and our services are going to be figuring out who is going to be able to fulfill them and creating like a transparent process for both, both the clients understand what they're going to get and how they're going to be able to measure the success. And also that the staff member understands what's going to be expected of them and that you put someone there who's competent enough to deliver. Mm -hmm. I don't think people know enough about like marketing and it's changed so much. I'm the oldest one here, but I mean, um, how much it's changed and the time that goes into, you know, the different processes that you have to do, like you're talking about, like the editing, people don't realize sometimes that there's editing that has to be done or um, the thought process that goes into it. And then just trying to come up with all the different drafts and proofs, you know, and trying to curtail it to that particular person's, you know, needs of what they're they're wanting. And then to get that wow you know, that you yeah. need with it is hard to do to get the pop or the, you know, the, or the subtle boom, this is what it is. And that's tough to do. It's not the easiest thing in the world to come up with. Yeah. And it's really hard because I work with a lot of startups and small businesses. Like we work with bigger companies that are international as well mm -hmm. as like small, small startups. And so, sure. <clears throat> and I like startups. I'm really passionate about small business, but sometimes it's even a process of just you know, them understanding and me understanding what, what level of creative right. that they're going to be happy with, because, right. yeah. you know, like it is, I, the, all, I always like to tell people marketing can be like the creative side. It's like building a house. Right. So what I love is when someone says, okay, I'm, I want this, like, I want an ad campaign that has this, da, da, da. it's like, 
That's like me going to an architect and saying, okay, I want a four bedroom house mm-hmm. and it has to have two bathrooms and I want it to be good for this family. Right. right. And they tell you who the people are and you're right. like, okay. And then you're like, okay, well, but we could build it on the coast of Malibu. We could build it down in Rancho Santa Fe. We could build it in downtown Los Angeles and it's all on one floor of a high rise. So like one bedroom, like a four bedroom home does not look the same mm-hmm. by any means. And I think that's the thing people have a hard time understanding when like, I love people go, well, how much is it going to cost? And I'm like, can you give me a budget of like where we can be? Mm-hmm. And then no client wants to do that, right? right. Because they don't want to spend more than they right. think they should. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, it's like when you give a client, a company, like even a range, then they understand, all right, this person can't afford a house on the beach in right. Malibu, but we could maybe do something up in the hills. You know what I mean? That kind of thing, because the sky's the limit. I mean, like when you see the tip top of visual effects, look at how much it costs to make, you know, a Wonder Woman movie Mm -hmm. and do all the marketing and PR for that. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you can spend $5 million building a house if you want, you know, or you can spend less. It's, it's, there's options. And so that's really the, I think that's the hardest part when you work with small business too, is just navigating that process with them. Because at the end of the day, like, we're on their side. We just want to build a house. Right. Yeah. Right. So how do you guide them? Like when they are, because I know when we started out, you know, as a small business, that would have been really scary to walk into those waters of trying to figure that Mm -hmm. out. And do you help them to like calm their nerves to get them through that so that they understand what that will do for them and for their business? I think that, yes. I mean, do businesses need to be prepared to make an investment in marketing up front? Yes. Um, I think that the, the best way for a small business is to understand how much money they're comfortable spending, let's say in the first year, um, and then prioritizing where that money goes. Because I think that in the wrong hands with someone that doesn't understand how a small business operates with limited capital, mm-hmm. what can happen is, is you can end up spending too much on a marketing opportunity that may be great, but without a lot of other act- individual activations or support or brand building that's going on on the digital side, it can be a lot more, you know, you're not going to get that same ROI. And the biggest priority is, you know, especially for a small business is starting to do business. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. a big thing. So like, it just depends on the client, really. I think I'm a pretty good, I try to get a really good feel for, you know, the client and their expectations in terms of creative. We're really big on asking for references. I always ask clients to show me things that they like Mm -hmm. and then manage their expectations and how much it costs to make something Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. we try not to put out anything that's ugly that we think is, you know, bad. And and that can range from a client that maybe can only afford stock photography because they can't even do a shoot to, you know, to build their first site with Photoshopped product images until they can actually build you know, a website and do a shoot and do all of that. So, um, and it depends on how you, how you bring in the creative into it and just managing expectations of like, mm-hmm. this isn't something we can pull off for less than this. Um, but I would, we're fairly transparent. Um, we, you know, our clients get to see the estimates so they know like exactly how much it costs to have this person and that person. And, and so that's a big part of the process I think is being, I think a lot of agencies aren't very transparent. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And then, you know, what's nice is like, for instance, our ads packages, you can, we always tell the client upfront, you may not see a direct ROI from this for three months. It takes three months to start collecting enough data to really start seeing the campaigns. Like for instance, I don't know if you like are familiar with ad targeting. Um, 
you know, you start running these ads and the pixel has to start collecting data about the customers. And so until you have a large amount of data collected on your customers, you can't target them to buy. Mm -hmm. And so it's a process of like, of literally teaching them how, how it all works. And I think that's what our consultants have to be really good at doing is Mm -hmm. explaining to the clients why, how things work and what to expect. So Mm -hmm. that's generally what we have to do. So as your team has grown, how has your role changed in all of this? Well, they do things that I can't do. So, um, I, I'm, I would say like, I, the biggest thing is taking a step back. I do a lot less, um, hands-on yeah. like clients will call me and they'll be like, Oh, this picture and, and this, and I, I want this. And I'll be like, yeah, okay. Like, let me get so-and-so, you know, cause right. I don't even know where it is. I have so many clients now that like, I don't know what their individual picture from this day. I don't, I don't know where their files are in mm-hmm. the cloud. You know, I don't have, it's too much for one person. I would die. So my role has become a lot more taking a step back and making sure that these processes are in place so that those team members have, so that everyone has what they need to do a good job, that they're working together well, that the communication of expectations with the clients is good. I do a lot more budgeting and payroll and insurance paperwork and, you know, making sure um, (laughs) big projects, you know, like the photo shoots, the, um, the, all the riders, I still am very involved in the rider management side. So in terms of like their overall brands with the professional riders, I, I manage pretty much the, the overall and the networking, but like, do I physically manage the social media accounts? No, I can't. They're day-to-day posts. So Um, it's more like that, I'd say more taking a step back. And then the biggest thing when you're a CEO is actually, um, you know, there's a saying of like, if sharks don't swim forward, they die. So, um, you have to think like that if you have a business, especially a business in the digital space. Mm -hmm. So I always have to be hiring people that are good at things that Mm -hmm. I'm not, that have services that are becoming more valuable because it changes, right? Like Facebook ads, you know, five years ago, you could pay a hundred bucks and you'd be like, wow, this is a cash cow. And now it's changed. I mean, the algorithm alone for Instagram has changed astronomically in the last year and interactions have really changed. And so, you know, my job is to really make sure that I'm staying, that I'm keeping people in the company that have the skills to navigate those changes in the industry. And then the other part of it is running ahead of the company. Where do we go from here? What's our current revenue? I mean, no one wants to work for a company for, you know, five years and never get a raise. So I can't just be sitting here thinking about just getting more and more and more and more clients that are the same thing because services change. So I need to be thinking about like, what are new things that are helpful to our clients? How can these, so I'm I'm basically always running ahead of the company. So you have to make sure that you're still thinking of new ways to get new clients. I have to, I have to be the one that's concerned with marketing my own business mm-hmm. as well, not just marketing all of the clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, the ownership role. Definitely. You know, there's so many facets to it that a lot of people don't know. They don't realize when you get into that role and you grow into it and you learn it as you go along, but you do yeah. have to hire people that know more than you. That's the smartest thing you can do. Because if uh, yeah, you don't, I, mean, I can't be yeah. an expert in everything. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't be an expert in digital ads and be able to code websites. And I think some people want to control, you know, or have that, 
you know, I can take care of all this, but you can't. So the person that does get those people to come in, they can grow further and, and you know, make it bigger, have the ability to be able to do that. Well, and I think so. that's a good, that's, yeah, and like, that's such a good thing that you grow up, because I actually think that's something that's my responsibility too, is it's my job to make sure that we have enough clients and enough revenue that they mm -hmm. can make mistakes, because I can't micromanage them. Right. Because there's too many clients, there's too many people as you grow that like, if they put out an Instagram post, let's say that has a typo and the client is freaking out about it. I, they obviously need to fix it right away, but like, they're going to make those mistakes, mm -hmm. right? Like they're human and things yeah. are going to happen where an email didn't, something didn't happen, you know, whatever. And it's my job as the CEO to build the company enough that like in the event that a client leaves or uh, something happens, you know, that we have the resources to still support those so that the like my biggest thing is making sure my employees and my team feel like the environment is safe, yes. you know? Yes. So, and, and there's times where I have to get, you know, I have to push back from clients. You know, I, I do run a pretty good, I think in terms of customer service, like we really work to be, you know, solution focused and what's this, what's that. But there's times when like you have abusive clients too, and you have to figure out like, you know, how to put them in areas where they can either, you know, be successful with the team you have or protect your team. Right. So that's one thing, like, cause they, they have to learn, like, I can't yes. do it all for them. You know, they have to be, and cause that's how they remember, especially right. with the consultants, like when they, if they forget something, like say someone has a clinic or something and I don't know, something doesn't go out or whatever, a press release or no one asked about something. It's little things like that that happen sometimes, especially because sports and like social media are a 24-7 industry. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes this is hard for clients to understand because like I will not ask my staff to work 24-7 for you, for mm -hmm. anyone. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's hard for them to understand like, hey, if you don't give them enough of a heads up and know this is happening, they might not be around at two o'clock on a mm -hmm. Saturday to do a last minute post for you. Mm -hmm. We try, every account has an account manager and a, and a supporting staff. So there's two people that kind of tag team, but you know, it's, it's that sort of stuff. So I have to build up the company enough that in terms of the finances that we're safe so they can make mistakes sure. sometimes and they can sure. learn from them and do better. Yeah. And that can be a little scary, not knowing where the economy is going or, you know, what's happening. I mean, we just don't know. But it seems like the advertising has done so well, marketing has done so well, because it's coming to such a, a place where it's so diverse. And so at the end of the day, with all of this being said, at the end of the day, when you kind of sit back and take a breather, do you just go, whoa, look at all of this? Or, you know, do you just, does your mind just go like, oh, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this? Or how do you feel, you know, at the end of the day, is it like, look at where we come from? And, you know, how do you feel? That's a hard question. I know I it is. That's why I like to ask it. Because it's, yeah. it's your personal feeling, you know, like what's deep down inside of you and how do you feel about it all, you know? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, like I have to be really careful because I'm a really hard worker mm -hmm. and I, I get tell. burned out. I can tell. And I, You're pushing. And so sometimes I feel like if I'm being, if I, this is like real table talk here, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, and it's kind of annoying, right? Like you, because I work with in horse sports, right? So everybody, when they do well in horse sports, they get a ribbon. 
yeah. and they get a prize. Yeah. I don't get a prize you don't. if I run a good business. You don't. <laughs> no. And it's not you like don't. I can run down no. the street and be like, oh my God, look, we did a million dollars in revenue this mm-hmm. year. Yay. Well, you know, like I can't, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, right. so that's kind of, you know, so sometimes you have, you know, like I'll have clients that are going to the Olympics or I'll have clients that are going here or, you know, I have a client that just their ads exploded and, you know, whatever. And I think our clients really appreciate us. They stay with us a long time. We have a very, um, our turnover rate is excellent. Um, but once in a while you're like, Man, you know, like, does it, are people really that, you know, you help a lot of people. You don't get a lot of thank yous when it's a service that it's you're giving. It's a thankless, it is a thankless job. That's when mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you sit back and you look at it. You have to say, where am I with this? You know, I think that's yeah, what I come I, to I, and we come to. It's like, we're... It's, it's okay. I think I do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do that like everyone else, like sometimes, and mainly the riders too, because I think the riders really focus a lot on thanking their coaches yeah. and thanking their mentors. But, and, and I'm not one to do a big like song and dance about, you know, the, like, oh, we got all these articles and we built your social media. And that's why you have all these owners. Now I'm not that kind of person, but I'd say sometimes you sit back and you're like, huh but but you know that at the same time it's like look what you've been able to do and it feels good I'm someone that believes that that, you know service you know you get what you put into this sport and service is important and so you know but every once in a while so when I feel that way I feel like I have to take a step back and be like okay I need something that I'm excited about Mm -hmm. for me and so generally that's like reassessing Mm -hmm. or changing something in my personal Mm -hmm. life or in my own riding Mm -hmm. you know um, because I'm, I'm a big believer in this, like lift as you climb kind of thing. And I, I don't, there isn't a rider that could call me and ask for something and I wouldn't, you know, be there and help them. I've, I've helped a lot of riders with a lot of different stuff, whether it's things they need during big competitions or help with clinics or whatever. And so, you know, I'm really here to support the sport, but I think that, like you said, sometimes you feel that way. You're like, God, but then, but then there's other cool things like, Cause I never like woke up one day and was like, yeah, I want to own a company. It was never like that. It was like, I want to have money to pay for my horses and I'm really bad at working for other people. So I really just need to make money. So figure out how to make money. So that was what I did was how can I do something for someone that would make money? And then, um, from there it kind of became a company. I'd say I actually get more kind of validation, less from the clients, right? Cause the clients, if you do a good job, they thank you for 10 minutes, they forget. Mm-hmm. and then they want something else and yeah. that's fine but I'd say it's more my staff like I remember when like Claire who's been an intern for me uh bought her own like first car because like Claire's been with me since college and so now she's like a grown-up and like they bought a house and they have a car and like she bought her she first car so and like good. I remember when she bought a car mm-hmm. and I was like I don't know if I'm like excited or if that's like a kick in the gut because I'm not responsible for only myself and how I yeah. put food on the table or pay for my yeah. horses. I'm responsible for how other people mm-hmm. like make their living. And mm-hmm. so I think that for me, I have a little bit more fun and I get excited about that and like building a big team. And mm-hmm. also like, I kind of see us as like this little married bandit of like weird horse girls that did our own thing that like have this like secret knowledge that you don't have to be a horse trainer to be in the horse industry yeah. or to ride. Seriously. There you go. Like, yeah. like being a horse trainer is a really hard job. I'm not yes. saying like I help horse trainers all day, but like some people don't 
like, like I had other skills that were extremely valuable. So like, why not? I mean, Scotty Pippen, you know, he was a manager before he was a hall of famer. So I think, you know, sometimes, yeah, you can kind of feel like your own writing goals get pushed aside. It's like, oh, you're the manager, you know, you're the agent, that kind of thing. But for the most part, I think it's like, we have this really cool team of like, that I'd say I'm proud of that. I'm more proud of that. Being able to give these people a job where Mm -hmm. like my staff can be like, Hey, I mean, like there's a lot of times where I'll call the girls that work for me. Like, are you working today? Like, (laughs) I don't even know. You know what I mean? Cause they get their stuff done and they're available when we need to be. And when we need to do stuff for their clients. And I like that because I think that life, this like nine to five thing that our parents did, it wasn't healthy mm-hmm. and people weren't happy. And so I, I like to think that like the people that work for us are really happy mm-hmm. and they enjoy their jobs. And so that's for me is like more validating, I think, than, you know, the creative work. But I mean, you're always excited when you do a cool creative campaign too. Yeah. Like, so what hours do they have to kind of be available for scheduling with clients or mm-hmm. at, you know, at a certain time, like <laughs> for sure, like what time do they have to be around well so it's 2021 so everybody has a cell phone so Mm -hmm. they have to be on whatsapp pretty much all the time so we have like open chat whatsapps for text messages that if someone has a call or someone needs something like generally the team checks in every like i would say every four hours you check those messages now does it mean that you have to work no but um, if you're going to be like completely off the grid, then you have to have coverage. If you're going to be off yeah. the grid for more than like six hours, like someone needs to know in case your client has a crisis, you know, whatever. Yes. But mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't make, I don't make their hours. I'm not their mom. Like there's no time clocking in. I mean, like with certain things like projects, like creative projects, you'll have team members that do are working hourly on graphic design and website and stuff. Right. And that matters. But like, I'm not going to tell them if, if they do their best work at two o'clock in the morning, then do it at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of the girls in my company, they want to ride, they want to do stuff. Like I want them to do that so that they're happier and more motivated to work harder in the company. So, I mean, like my hours change every day. So sometimes I ride in the morning, sometimes I ride in the afternoon and then I work in the morning. It just, it varies. I mean, like I, like last week I worked Saturday and Sunday and Monday straight through. Cause we had film shoots. So we're really like a work when you need to, but like mm-hmm. if they don't have anything to do or they've done all their work and everyone's happy, then like go ride your horse, go hiking, go yeah. have fun with your family. I mean, we're all, it takes a certain person to work from home. Everyone has to be really disciplined. Like there are people yeah. that have tried to work for us and it does not work. Yeah. Right. And so if, you but if you're that type that of person, Mm-hmm. Yeah, then mm-hmm. then I don't need to have I don't need to tell you. I mean, we do schedule calls with our clients. And so generally, we all check with each other's schedules. Hey, can you do a call this time? You know, we do have to we're responsible for blocking out our calendars of when we're not going to be available. And then, mm-hmm. you know, clients will schedule things. But other than that, I mean, and we have clients that are on like seven different time zones and our mm-hmm. staff works on three. So when you have that many time zones involved, because everyone works from home mm-hmm. and we have clients in Italy, we have clients in Australia, we've had clients in Canada, we have a ton of clients on the East Coast, West Coast, you know, and then I also own a clothing line. So I'm working kind of, I'm acting CEO for the clothing line mm-hmm. Anique as well. So sometimes I have to do stuff with clients. We have clients in South Africa and Asia for that company too. So we're, <laughs> Yeah. But like if a client wants a call at seven o'clock at night and it's their only call they've asked for this mm-hmm. week and it's something important, yeah, move your schedule and make it work. 
I know you have a pretty large size staff too. So they obviously live across the United States then. They're not mm-hmm. all near you then. So they can be in different areas and it works out well for you that way too with the different time zones and so forth. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I'm not awake until, like I'm not going to look at anything until 8 a.m. Pacific mm-hmm. right now. So, but it's the same thing. Like, I'm not going to hear from my girls that work on the East coast mm-hmm. after, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 6 PM, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, cause it's nine o'clock at night there. They mm-hmm. fell asleep. But, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's just also having some accountability as a manager, because, um, I certainly, there have been times where like, I would ask people to work all the time and you're like running, running, running. And now I've learned a little bit. I've had the business longer that like, people like go crazy. So you have to, you have to take a step back because it's not their business at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's mine. Mm -hmm. So I, when I feel like I have an employee that's working a lot, like all the time, that's not in a super high leadership position and the people in the leadership position aren't getting times to like chill out. Mm -hmm. Then I know that we're understaffed Mm -hmm. and I have to bring in more people, even if it's just part-time to help with relief Mm -hmm. and stuff. What would you say to people listening that are maybe just a startup company and they would like to do some marketing, are there like maybe say three things that you would tell them if you've got a person who's like, I have no idea of where to go with this. Are there like maybe a few things you would just say, know this, this, and this, and then someone can help you with it. Is there anything you can give advice to people on for something like that? Well, I'd say first, like know who you want your customer to be. Like if your business is big, in five years, who are your customers? Who's buying whatever it is that you're either your service is providing? Like Mm -hmm. what's your ideal client? Mm -hmm. Because from there, every single aspect of your, what you put out there of your brand Mm -hmm. should be aligned with attracting that person. So it's sort of like, I don't know, I'd say like dating, right? It's not, but it's like psychology. Like if you are somebody that knows that you really like this guy and he likes girls that are blondes. This is not, I think, Mm -hmm. a healthy way to date, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have blonde hair, right? Mm -hmm. And so people have things they like, things they don't like, and and sort of, you know, like the needs, for instance, of the hunter-jumper industry are different than the needs of the dressage industry. The customer base has very different body types, very different clientele, very different income brackets when you Mm -hmm. think about your pricing with competitors and stuff. So the biggest thing is to try to really think about like, who's your ideal customer and like what motivates them and what are, what, what influences their decisions. From there, the second thing would be the website. Do not if you can, like you can build your first website yourself, but like I would, that would be the first thing I'd say if you're a new business that you pay for to have somebody do, there are people who are good, who are affordable. Um, and the biggest thing is to make sure if you are hiring someone to do a website for you, that they actually really know what they're doing. There's a lot of people who say that they do, but they don't have an understanding of SEO, which is search engine optimization. If somebody tells you to build like a website for your business in Squarespace and that that's great and that they're, they're going to charge you a lot of money for that run um because those sites for instance are like super visual and you can't have any seo which how is anyone supposed to find you right um, so so things like that and then the other thing i would say is that um with social media the biggest thing is consistency mm-hmm. and it's really like don't view your social media as a place where you're going to get customers anymore it's changed that was like three years ago now it's really more about brand recognition and brand building and participating in an online community with your customers. But if you actually want to do like direct sales to your customers or drive traffic to your website, 
you have to pay to play now. Mm-hmm. And it's all digitalized. Is there a certain percentage that you recommend like small businesses to put out for marketing? Or it's generally it depends on the size of the startup, right? So like mm-hmm. it's generally it should be ten percent gotcha. of of your budget for the year. Um, I actually think in the first three years, though, depending on the business, it's really more than like 15 mm-hmm. when you're building your brand um, because you need to make sure you have like a good logo and a good mm-hmm. website. Like those to me are marketing assets. They're not actual marketing. Yeah. So you want to look at like 10%. Yeah. So like if you want to do 18 million in revenue, you have to spend 1.8 sure. million yeah. at least, if not more. Do you see trends heading in a different direction? I know it's been... You know, like the social media has changed. Like you said, you know, you could pay for it. Now you have to, it's more of like you're building the community. The community is big. Yeah. Do you see a trending think, thing coming that, you know, we're kind of on the edge of? Or mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, like consumers are getting smarter, right? Yeah. So yes. we're getting, we are becoming, because of this whole controversy with Apple and um, Facebook, we're becoming more educated on ads targeting. I mean, there's nothing Mm -hmm. scarier than like having a phone conversation with your friend talking about how you need to find like a new concealer and then 20 minutes Mm -hmm. later and you're on the phone with that. And then, or you say you went to Target and you clicked on a product that you actually thought you'd buy and then 20 minutes later, it's all over your feed. Um, It happens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so it's like, I think people are getting, I do think that customers are getting smarter and they're understanding what, they're being targeted with. So I think that actually like brand building and creative campaigns are more important than ever before because like anybody can just make ads that show their products, but like building campaigns that really showcase your brand is really where I'm advising clients to go that Mm -hmm. has, that tells a story of your brand because that's how the customers cut through kind of all the BS that's out there. There's Mm -hmm. just an overwhelming amount of, of ads and stuff. But I have to say, you know, just even with like, you know, I, two years ago, I decided I was going to learn how to play the stock market. I I'm like that. I pick something new. So like three years ago, I was like, I'm going to learn how to use airline miles. Cause I never want to fly coach again, not over the ocean. And so what did I do? I got, I figured it all out. There's a whole system to it. You can learn it and you just go upgrades and all the miles. It's amazing. Anyways. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to do the same thing with the stock market. So I found somebody that knew more than me, sat down and started doing my own little, you know, you have your funds and stuff but i was like no i want to buy stock because i understand how businesses work so i want to buy stock and sell it and move it and you know because i can do this so i it's kind of like that and like if you watch what's going on right now i mean people are shopping people are out and the equestrian industry really did not get hit very hard Mm -hmm. by covid because Mm -hmm. they were in an income bracket for the most part that was very um i'd say the majority of people they're in an income bracket that actually made most of their income Mm -hmm. um or does well from either you know other things in the same industry or from other areas like like entertainment tech at least in the united states entertainment tech or especially the stock market Mm -hmm. and like with our last presidency, the stock market was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all these people actually have more money to spend. And then with them mm-hmm. printing all the money in inflation, like the dollar is, there's suddenly a lot more money out there and people are spending more money than they ever have. And like the cost of goods has actually not increased yet. I think we're going to start to see that over the next you know, year that the cost of the prices yes. for things that we've already, we're seeing it, right? Yeah. Lumber, yeah. gas, yes. you know, Steel. that's what happens with inflation. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I think it's a really good time for businesses to pay off debt because yeah. your dollar is like basically becoming worth, you know, a lot less. So you may as well take care of that now. Mm -hmm. um, that's like a really good thing to do. So I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see a lot of prices go up on a lot of um, products. And I think that's why it's even more important, I think, um, for businesses that sell products, especially if we're just talking products, um, to have a really good idea of what makes them different and their quality and their customer experience and to really mm -hmm. have a good grip on that and their supply chains because um, I think that you know all the good things are going to be going up quick because mm -hmm. people are going to want to buy those. There's not a lot of there, also with all the COVID delays, especially in like apparel, yeah. for instance. Mm -hmm. um, there were there's a lot of fabrics and stuff. Like I have one even for my own line that I was told I can't even get until 2023. Yes, yeah. I'm like, yeah. what? Because they didn't make it during right. COVID, so right. I can't even get fabric. Even right. if I order it and wait six months, right. I still yep. can't get it. Like, right. so when right. you go on like some of these websites like Stateline Tack or or Smart Pack, and you're like, oh my god why can't I buy my bucket? And it's yeah, like, yeah. because they're not making all this stuff. So right. I think what's going to happen with that though, is that consumers are going to learn that they actually don't need as much stuff. And so they're going to start to be more particular about the things that they yeah, buy. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're going to be willing to pay more as the prices go up too with inflation, the items are going to get more expensive. So then when they are making purchases, they're going to have to have a lot more of a thought process about it. Mm -hmm. And so I foresee, um, you know, it's going to be more important than ever before for brands to really have that brand recognition, be recognizable, have people know their quality yes. and what they really are, where they, where they fit into a hole, where they solve a problem for a, for a customer. Because I think otherwise, I don't, I think we're going to see a lot of like that kind of tchotchke things go away. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. that might be my like, you know, mm -hmm. jaded view, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a minimalist. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good, though. That's good. That's interesting because I think the same yeah. thing, you know, times are changing and they're changing fast. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to be aware of like how to think forward with what you're going to be doing with your business or your company to to market it. Yeah. All right. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll enter our next segment, mm -hmm. Canter Banter. Do you love horses and live the equestrian lifestyle? Be sure to check out our brand new blog at www.yourhorsefarm.com. We publish three posts per week and feature a free printable equine checklist every month. Yourhorsefarm.com is a great equine online resource, so be sure to share with all the horse lovers in your life. And remember, laugh much and ride often. Our next segment, Cancer Banter, is brought to you by Ram Horse Fencing and Stalls, the one-stop shop for your horse farm. Ram is family-owned and operated and has been in business for over 30 years. We welcome you to call in and speak with an expert about your next project today at 866-653-653. 8984. Again, that's 866-653-8984. Like one of the things that I do um, is like, because we work across all different horse sports. And so I um, have taken groups to like the Kentucky Derby where I've had clients sponsor jockeys in the Derby. So people that want say, say you guys want to sponsor a jockey in the Kentucky Derby or a big race, you can call me, we can set it up. But then the thing that happens is like people actually, when you're a sponsor, like you're a family owned business, you might want to sponsor a jockey, but then you guys want to go, right? Like you're not yeah. going to sponsor a jockey, not yes. go. So I am like the physical person that works with the, the manager of the jockeys, the talent manager for all the jockeys. Uh, we work together. She's one of our horse racing consultants, but she's also been a mentor and friend of mine for many, many years. Um, and so I physically take these groups to the Kentucky Derby. 
-hmm. And I do the whole thing. And a lot of it happens kind of fairly last minute because, um, you know, the sponsorships happen maybe two weeks before. (laughs) So, um, but sometimes they know they want to go ahead. So we get everything done. So um, one time I had a group that it was a very, it was a small group, four people, two of them really good, like friends of mine. And then they're, they're friends and they had always bucket listing. Um, and it was just funny from the beginning, right? Cause everybody has all these romantic ideas of the computer being <laughs> in their head, right? They yeah. like think that it's like this, um, it's yeah. all hats and glamour and like the Oscars, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's not, it's, um, it's a horse race. And that's why actually, like, I think a lot of like the ultra wealthy people love it because it's like you're in it and it's grungy and it's all this stuff. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to do everything. Like I hold their hands start to finish. I, I find the hotels, I do the car, I do all that. Mm. Well, and stuff, no matter how much I plan, things go wrong because there's 300,000 people coming into Kentucky and like the National Guard is activated to get in. So I I took this family and uh, these four people and I mean, like it was, we had, you know, stupid things that I had to problem solve really quick. Like the car that we had, um, they hadn't had time to like really let it air freshen out. So it smelled like cigarettes. So oh, I was literally no. like, after I took the guests to the hotel, I was like, literally I'm in the gas station, like cleaning it myself and putting yes. things in before I have to take them to dinner. And they were really into foodie. They were like foodies. So I was taking them to all these different restaurants all over Kentucky, <laughs> where like all the big trainers and jockeys go. And we'd booked all these lunch reservations, like a year in, and dinner reservations a year in advance. So like wow. took them to um, all these five-star restaurants, you know, that overlook. So anyways, um, well, it always rains. So you can bet that the Kentucky Derby, it's either going to rain on Derby Day or on Oaks Day. And for this particular Derby, we got both. Oh, it no. was like absolute oh, no. torrential oh, no. downpour. downpour. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so like, and I always make the women, you always bring your dress and your fascinator or whatever, but you always bring wellies. I'm always like, you need to buy wellies. Yeah. And they're like, I'm like, nope, go order your hunter boots. Like they have to color coordinate your dress, like the whole thing. Right. So we do all that. So the morning of the Derby, it's just completely downpour. And a Mm. lot of people, it's always interesting. I always have wealthy clients that don't understand how big of a deal the Kentucky Derby is. Like Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton have to walk like 500 feet to get to their limo because the limo parking is still almost like three blocks away. Like there's no VIP. Let me drive up and get out. Like it's completely locked down. It's a huge event. So, so I had this couple that was like, they were totally freaked out. We get special passes from the mayor um, that, that Angie gets for the jockeys to like run stuff for their sponsors. And Uh so to get into the track because parking is such a nightmare and you can't get in and there's like no shuttles you have to walk and it was like so if we were gonna walk it was gonna take us like I don't know probably two hours and it was like yeah and it's so rainy right wow so Angie of course has passed this is my the girl works for me for the mayor for herself because she has to drive through with all the jockeys pants that have all the embroidery for all the logos and their hats all their stuff for all their promotions so she has passed this is Gary Stevens' wife. She's a really good friend. Wow. So I have to take my clients first and we drive into the parking lot. She's like, yeah, let's meet. We met at some restaurant, like a Denny's or something in the parking lot. And she's like, just meet us here. So we meet there. And then it's five of us crawling into her car oh my and full of gear. And like oh the no. two of the clients, oh I were no. like, 
cool and they were down for it. But the other two were like mortified because they <laughs> oh, no. always thought that this was supposed to be this amazing VIP experience. And I'm oh, like, no. you're like, they're not those kind of people, you know? Yeah. But I'm like, well, do you want to walk for four hours oh, or no. do you want to get off at the door? Right. Yeah. So they, and as we're driving past, we're in the car. I saw the video, like they're all laughing. They're like, oh, we're driving to the Kentucky Derby with our fancy paths because where all the roads are closed, guess what? We're driving it. Wow. Oh, and then we get in the dirt, into the track in like 10 minutes absolutely pouring rain I think they had no concept of how many people were going to be there I love oh. taking people to Derby for the first time there's like people next to you and like on top of you and you're <laughs> trying not to get stepped on like never wear shoes that don't have you know like the heels that your toes are out no right no. yeah yeah so, so all this so we get long story show short our box because we had a box in a really good spot oh wow so, oh my so. So we can't, so we're like in underneath with everyone in the rain too. Like everyone's like underneath where the bedding stations and stuff. And the guys are trying to smoke cigars. Well, that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. And so I'm texting Angie and I'm just like, Angie, I got to do something for these people. Like, I feel bad. You know, this is like their first Kentucky. They're just like completely soaked. Oh no. Oh no. Right. And this is the same Derby that justify one. So, um, so I'm like, I got to do something. And I'm like, can, can, I was like, can we, can we meet the jocks? You know, she's like, yeah, but you got to get them to the jocks room. And I was like, all right, Angie, you tell me challenge accepted. <laughs> what people don't realize is so the Kentucky Derby has different levels of security. So oh, wow. there's, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, whatever, but like <laughs> there's different levels of security. So they hire, there's like the normal track security, right. That travels mm-hmm. with the jocks room and the jockeys and they're mm-hmm. with them all the time. Right. And no matter what track they're at kind of yeah. thing. And then there's like, they hire different private security companies because there's so many people. And then they have the National Guard, which secures, because it's not in a very good area of town, that whole area outside. So Uh people can walk safely and stuff. Sure. And and so she's like, she's like, you got to get past like the first level of security. (laughs) So, because I'm like, oh God. So I got to take these poor people. And so she tells me where, like there's a back stairwell that goes through and she's like, it's probably not manned because it's not, like it looks like it doesn't go anywhere. So she's like, you're going to go up there and then go down and go straight through and you can go through the back to the jock room. And I'm like, okay. So I take my clients to the... Like I, I weave them up. I'm like, stay with me. Like, that's what I tell them. I'm like, stay with me. There's tons of people everywhere. I'm like, stay with me. So we're going to go see the jockeys. And they're like, oh, this girl's full of crap. Like we've had this horrific social, like Kentucky Derby experience. Like maybe she doesn't know all these people and this isn't connected, you know? So I'm like, okay. And so we, I get them up the stairwell. And then I, we're going through the back, which is where all the families watch. Um, and there's like big buffet dinners and stuff like that, where all the families of the, and the owners of the horses watch. And so, and it's kind of like, like, like just walk, like you own the place and you know yeah. exactly where yeah. you're going. We right. don't have the wristbands. To right. Be so just act right? like you, you, so you own like, it. Cause I'm yeah. trying to get to another area yeah. where I don't right. need the wristbands. Right. right. But we don't have right. them. So I'm like, own it. I was like, just walk like you own it. Just, we own just, the place. And I'm that's just right. walking. You know what I mean? Yep. So we just keep walking. I'm like, just walk with me. And the woman and her husband, they are just mortified. They think, like, These are people that don't break the law or anything. You know? yeah. And it's like, you're like driving the wrong way down a right. railway street. And so I'm like, okay, let's go. And so we're walking, we're walking, walking, walking. And then we go back and we go past this area of like, so we turn left and they have like the ham and all that. We're like back in like the food prep area. And I'm like cutting them past it. We get to the doors and we're out and the doors. And right as we get to the doors, one of the security guys comes like yelling at me and is like, hey, you guys, like, you're not supposed to be in here. Get over here, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I go, 
I'm, I'm going to the jocks room. I got to meet people over there. And I open the door and the security guard that's at, in front of the jocks room knows me. Oh, oh. I lived at wow. the racetrack for like oh, three years. My. So he sees me when Angie told him we were coming. So he sees me and I'm like, hey man. And like I wave, I'm like, I need yeah. help. Or the hey. clients, we gotta go all the way back and they're yeah. not gonna be happy with me. And so I like wave to him and he's like, Oh yeah, Kelly, come on, come on, come on. So I'm like, see? And so the lady's like, oh, okay, fine. And so they let us through into oh this area where gosh. it's like jockeys and their families and literally the people that oh. own horses. It's oh, this back wow. terrace, right? That's unbelievable. And so and so I and so we walk in there and the client is like having a meltdown. Like one of the women, she's in the back. I can hear her. She's like really upset. She like feels like they're breaking all these rules oh, and like they're going to no. get in trouble and get arrested or something. And <laughs> even when we got past and the best moment ever happened, Victor Espinosa was coming back from a race and we're standing right there and all of a sudden they get quiet because they get to see those oh, big jockeys, you know, yeah. famous jockeys. And we're sitting there like, oh, Victor. And Victor sees me and he knows me. And oh, so he's like, hi, how's it going? And he's like all excited and he's covered in mud and he's oh, so sad. high five. Oh. And the client's face just like, they didn't even know what to think about. <laughs> now they're totally they're like, like, what, you know? Like, yeah. oh my what? God, like, I guess we can be here, you know? And so then after that, we waited outside and like, the jockeys came out to see them Aww. and they got to take a bunch of pictures with jockeys. Which so like sweet. taking pictures with jockeys at the Kentucky Derby is like unbelievable. Not a thing that's right. 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 Unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, and then they got to go and party with them too. Like we got oh, private, we went to wow. all the private parties in the evening oh, and stuff. And so like man. it was but it was just so funny because wow. they were just like completely freaked out. They were gonna get arrested or something. And, and you surprised yeah, them. <laughs> perfect timing too that like because you know, this was before Mike had won too. Oh, so my. Victor was like the, the triple crown winning jockey that wow. all these people are like, oh my god, and I've known him since before he won the triple crown, but so he's coming up. Hi, that how's it going? So cool. <laughs> so they had to be cool. like in shock. They had to have yeah. gone from one end of the spectrum to the right? other. I mean, how but, cool and is that's that? the thing. Like, I think people don't realize that the Kentucky Derby is not this super glamorous thing. It's horse racing. That's why yes. people like it. You know? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, even I had a group once that we had a box like right in front of like the finish kind of thing. And it was, and we had a box and they had decided that they wanted to go to the Kentucky Derby like a week and a half before the derby and i was able to get this box oh, wow. and they were like oh my god this is such crappy seating because she thought she should be up in the oh, in the suite right which yeah. people don't realize like no. suites in the derby are like hundreds of thousands of dollars yes. and you have to book them two or three years in right. advance yeah. and so um and so we were there and then and it was the same kind of thing people get all like miffed by it but then we were sitting oh, next man. to a hall of fame jockey Oh my wow. goodness. And they were like, like, this is where, and oh, the Angie and I were like, this is where when the sheik comes to watch. There you go. This is where he watched mm -hmm. his horses mm -hmm. go. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's so mm -hmm. funny because I think that like people don't realize that it's horses. They just horse don't horse. have That's the eye. They is. don't know. And people too that maybe aren't involved in horses, I mean, probably the majority are, but people that aren't, they don't know what it's like to be around horses mm -hmm. and in those areas and what it's like, you know, but that is just so cool. I mean, it's like horse racing is, I love horse racing. It's it's such an old sport, you know, and yes. like the people and the way it functions, especially yes. at Churchill, it's an old track, you know, like it's, I mean, it's gambling. What did yes. you expect? Like, yes. that's so <laughs> funny. Oh like, my gosh, that's so funny. had a baby that, yeah. you know, like came from like gangsters in England and that's I right. like, it's fun, you know? That's right. People don't realize. They <laughs> just don't realize. That's it's so not cute. The I love Oscars. it. 
I love so it. Cool. Well, I know if we ever decide we're going to go see it, we are calling you. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, really and cool. every group that I take, they get to go, they get to go meet the jockeys and stuff. And yeah. we have like oh. special things too, where like we have jockeys now, like we were before COVID, we were going to do another week where we were going to do like jockey party bus. Wow. So like we were the week of the Kentucky Derby, we were going to have jockeys come and like sit on the party bus oh with people God. as they oh, go from like the different fun. restaurants and parties fun. and stuff. Wow. And then there's a lot of like invite only parties that our clients can go to that we mm -hmm. take them to like, mm -hmm. um, jock tales, which is a party that they, that benefits like the disabled so jockeys foundation where uh, jockeys actually like get, um, the jockeys serve you the drinks and stuff. Oh my oh, goodness. Fun. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is really interesting. I never, I, I didn't know. I had no mm -hmm. idea, but how interesting and how neat that you've been able to do all of that, see all those things and know those people. That has to be so yeah. interesting. Wow. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast and encourage you to share with all your equestrian family and friends. You can tune into the Late Night Riders podcast show every Friday night. Each episode will be uploaded exclusively on YouTube where you can subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with all of our latest shows. Do you have a topic you'd like us to discuss? We want to hear from you. You may email us at podcast.rampfence.com or feel free to leave a comment below. Thank you again for listening.